for saying this, but she's, uh, she's on Del High Bus, and, and even this morning she was, I'm so nervous. <laughs> so if you've ever had to sing or play an instrument in front of people, I know you can appreciate uh, how much practice and work goes into to doing a special. Uh, and so it's always encouraging seeing our, our young people do that. Uh, Philippians, in your Bibles this evening, Philippians chapter number 2. I was in junior church this morning, so I didn't get to hear pastor's message, but some of the footnotes I got was that he preached my message already, so hopefully I can come up with something a little bit different than what he mentioned, but if not, it's that the Lord wanted us to hear twice, so we'll do uh, the best that we can. Philippians chapter number two, and we'll open with a word of prayer. Lord, I do love you. I thank you uh, for your word. I thank you for the privilege that it is uh, to stand behind a pulpit and to preach, and God, I do pray that you would uh, just guide my thoughts, guide my words. Uh, help me to only say what you would have this evening. God, I pray that you'd encourage us, that you'd challenge us, and that you'd help us to love you more. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So tonight we're going to be talking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The incarnation. And the incarnation of Jesus is, is probably a topic that you could do a whole series on. And so I'm not going to be able to do the whole, uh, you know, do the whole topic this evening, but we are going to look at kind of a narrowed down uh, view of what the incarnation was, and then specifically in Philippians, um, we have a, this is what the incarnation was, and then this is the result of that, or how that impacts, or what the application is to us. And so as we look at that this evening in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to dive right in, in in verse number 5, Philippians 2 verse 5, the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. All right, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us we're going to look at what Jesus did. We're going to look at what, the, what his thought was, what the, the motive was behind it. And we all know none of us can fill the shoes that Jesus did. None of us can be incarnated into human form. We're already human, right? Um, and so Paul says something that's more realistic for us to try and attain to um, and just, just trying to mimic the mind of Jesus, If we see the incarnation and what was the thought behind it, it should impact us. It should change us. And so we see that in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And so we'll spend a little bit of time on verse number 6. There's a a movement, um, depending on who you talk to, uh, some would call it a heresy, uh, that Jesus stopped being God when he was born as a man. Um, uh, many new, um, I don't know how to, what to describe them, we'll call them liberal preachers of our day, uh, deny that Jesus was God when he was on this earth in human form. So we're going to pick apart verse number six, and we're going to try and reconcile how is God also human? How is Jesus God and man? So verse number six, who, being in the form of God. That word being for us in English is such a simple word, right? It, it, you know, there's not a lot of depth to it. But if we were to go into the Greek and you study that out, it comes from a Greek uh, verb, and I, I always can never pronunciate them very well, hoop asherin, all right? And I apologize to anyone that knows Greek better than that. Uh, but it, it has a lot of meaning to it. It has a lot of depth to it. All right, the, the definition there, it describes that which a man is in his very essence and which cannot be changed. All right, I'll read it again. Describes that which a man is in his very essence, his being. 
all right, the, who he is, what makes him up. But it also has the idea that it cannot change. All right, if we were to stop right there with that very first phrase, who, being, his essence, cannot change in the form of God, talking about Jesus, Jesus is God, all right? The form is, is a, another word for essence, all right? His being, his, he being in the form of God, that was who he was, uh, the, the word for, for form that we have in English comes from the Greek word morphe, and it always signifies a form which truly and fully expresses the being which underlies it within. All right, we think of form today, you know, if you've ever done baking and you have those gingerbread cutouts, you know, and you can form those into, into shapes and different things, um, it's a little more permanent than that. It's a lot deeper than that. All right, the, it is truly and fully expresses who it is that underlies it. All right, so who being unchangeable in the form, the very essence, the being of who he was is God. All right, I hope that answers that question for you. All right, the second part of that verse is thought it not robbery to be equal with God. All right, he didn't think it was wrong to be equal with God because he is God. His being is God. His essence is God. He did not think it was wrong to be equal with God. In John chapter 8, verse 58, if we want to use the words of Jesus, he said, Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Not I was. He uses that title, I am. Continuing in John, John 17, verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me, with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. All right, Jesus talking to his father, talking to God, says, give me the glory, glorify me with the glory I had uh, before the world was. All right, Jesus is God. Jesus claimed to be God. And we, we, can, we can rest assured on that. All right, but verse 7 is what causes us just a pause, maybe. And this is, I, I like calling them the mysteries of the Bible. You know, there are things that are hard for us to understand. You know, if I was to, to ask you, can you perfectly explain the Trinity? All right, can you perfectly explain how God exists in three separate people and all those people, all those persons are God? You know, it's one of those things that we can't understand, that we accept by faith. And so the incarnation of Christ takes a little bit of faith to accept. All right, he is God. He is the being of God. It does not change. And yet the second part, or verse seven rather, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. All right, so Jesus, not giving up being God, takes on the, the nature, the, the form, the Bible says, of mankind. You know, if, if I was to, to uh, change my jacket, you know, if I had a blue jacket or, or a beige jacket over there, you know, I could put on a different form, but it doesn't change who I am, right? I'm still Calvin, right? And so Jesus does not change who he is, but he takes on human nature, all right? He emptied himself is, is what one way of saying it, but not getting rid of one thing, but emptied into a human form, into a man, into a body, effectively taking on humanity. And one of the mysteries is how do I explain how Jesus has existed for all of eternity and yet he was born in Bethlehem? 
His physical nature had a beginning with Mary, his mother. How do I explain how Jesus is omniscient? And yet the Bible talks about, we'll look further down in our, our lesson tonight, that he grew in wisdom. How do I explain that God is, or Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and yet the Bible says he grew physically, he grew in stature. He upholds all things, and yet he was weary with his journey at times. He was David's Lord, and yet also called the son of David. He's the Lord over all, and yet he's the son of a, a, just a little lady, Mary. He's immortal God, and yet he's a mortal man. And he took on this form of a servant. Again, if we look at that word took, it, it's not that he was uh, just grabbing something. It's, that's what we kind of think. It's adding, not exchanging his, his divine nature for human nature, but taking it on to him. He's not replacing. He's not losing that form, that being of God. He was just taking on the form of a servant. Continuing on, he was made in the likeness of men. You know, on earth, Jesus accepted human form. He would have looked Jewish. You know, we, we look at, um, can kind of blame the Catholics for this, but Jesus was not what we picture him in stained glass and what you see in cathedrals and all the rest. He, he wasn't white, all right? He had, he had darker skin. He was Jewish in descent. And, and so he took on the likeness of man. Um, and on this earth, Jesus experienced the same things that you and I experience. You know, my, my son, wherever he is, Timbit and Toby are back there. They, ha- they are learning to read and write, all right? They're in school. They're learning the alphabet. They're learning their numbers. Um, you know, Jesus had to learn how to speak. You know, he, didn't, he wasn't born and instantly start having conversations with Mary and Joseph, you know, as a, a little infant, newborn baby. He had to learn those things. He went through all those stages of life. Um, Jesus grew in wisdom, and, and that's one for, that I struggle to wrap my mind around. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, when Jesus was in the temple and Mary and Joseph uh, left him behind, at the end of that chapter, the Bible says, Jesus increased in wisdom. Jesus, in human nature, learned. He, he, he debated, he discussed, he asked questions, and he grew, as the Bible says, he increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. Verse number eight, and being found in fashion as a man. All right, this is where we get to kind of the, the specific aspect of the incarnation that I want to, to focus on this evening is the very next phrase, he humbled himself. You know, the incarnation is, is beneficial for so many things. It fulfilled prophecy. It allowed him to die as our savior. Um, you know, he was, all those different things that he experienced. But the one that I want us to think about tonight is what it took to, to do the incarnation, to be incarnated, it took humbleness. You know, Jesus humbled himself, all right? And he humbled himself to a few different things. As, as we mentioned, he was born as a baby. You know, how easy would it have been uh, for Jesus just to, to show up at 13, to show up at 18, to show up at 30? You know, would, would people have batted an eye if Jesus had come at 30? No one had ever met him before, and he just starts doing miracles. I think people would have not been too concerned. Well, where were you five years ago? Where were you when you were 20? I don't, I don't know if that would have been the first question, you know, with the, the ministry that Jesus had. And yet he chose, God chose to experience that first 30 years because he was humbling himself. He wasn't born into a royal home. He wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born to nobility. He was born to a common carpenter. 
Not only that, but the Bible says that he grew up and, and learned the trade of carpentry. He, he's called the carpenter in, in the Gospels as well. And so he would have had a common job. He humbled himself. God was a carpenter. Crazy to think about. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Bible says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. You know, in heaven, no doubt, the angels, they minister, they serve God, they no doubt serve Jesus. And when he came to this earth, who did he have? You know, did he bring angels with him to, to meet his needs? No, he experienced the same as we, uh, the same as we do. He came not to minister unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, you know, you can talk about wealth, um, and, and, you know, they, they always talk about the billionaires. Who's the richest billionaire in the world? And that changes from time to time. But think about the wealth of, of God. Think about the riches of God. And the Bible says, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Yet that ye, through his poverty, might be rich. Jesus humbled himself. One of the last things that we see before, um, before being falsely accused and then crucified was washing the disciples' feet. He, he was a humble. He was a servant of all. Verse 9 of our text, Philippians 2, verse 9. Uh, sorry, we missed one of the most important parts. Verse 8. Uh, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It said the, the Roman torture and, and crucif- uh, uh, sentence of crucifixion was reserved for the most violent and vile of, of criminals. It was very rare for a Roman citizen to ever be sentenced to death by crucifixion. And yet Christ endured that. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, and not just any death. You know, it'd be one thing if, if someone came and said, Calvin, you can save so-and-so, um, just take this pill. All right, and it's an easy, peaceful in your sleep. But to go through what Jesus experienced, to be beaten, to be whipped, to have his beard plucked, to be mocked, to be ridiculed, and then crucified, it was one of the most gruesome, torturous deaths imaginable, and yet God humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself for my sake, for your sake. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Verse 9 all right, Jesus accomplished all that. That was, you know, in essence, the, the, the reason he came. All right, and we continue, verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. All right, after he accomplished his, his goal, his task to be able to offer forgiveness, he now sits at the right hand of our Father, interceding on my behalf. And God glorified him, or highly exalted him. Jesus never exalted himself. He didn't walk around and say, hey, you need to, it's pastor Jesus to you, all right? He never did that. He, he never, you know, I just, I'm reminded just um, the kids. He, he didn't rebuke the kids. No, I have time for the children. You know, I, I, he, he's just a humble, um, emptied of self to serve us. Wherefore God also, also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In our, our Sunday school class and also in our, our seniors' Bible study, we're in Revelation. 
And, and I keep looking forward to that time when we start talking about um, the, the judgment of Satan and, and all the, the, the pain and suffering that he's brought to this world. And yet God, God gives us the, the prophecy of what's going to happen to him. And one day at the name of Jesus, Satan will bow. You know, everyone in our lives that, that rejects God and, and um, would say there is no God or, or there's some other way to God, whatever it might be, one day they will stand before Jesus Christ who died for their sins and at the name of Jesus they will bow. And, and just a wonderful thought as I imagine that and, and, and just think about how awesome that will be. And so what's our application? If, if that's a, the incarnation, just very briefly, what is our application? You know, and, and, and I love when God gives it right there, all right? We'll continue reading in verse number 12, wherefore, all right? And they told us in college, or, or therefore, or wherefore, it's always, it, it's very self-explanatory, all right? So Paul gives us um, the example or the, the story of Jesus becoming a man, still being God, fully being God, fully being man, dying on the cross, being exalted, wherefore, all right? What? What can we learn from that? What is my application from that? And it gives us a little bit of a, a, um, some direction here. All right, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. All right, what does the incarnation of Jesus mean? What does him humbling himself, coming as a baby, living life as a man, dying on the cross, what does that mean for me? And God is telling us, work out your salvation. That does not mean, as some people have said, to earn our salvation. That does not mean that my salvation is on my own merit or anything that I have done. Um, what that means is to work out as if you were, excuse me, as if you were at the gym, all right, think of it like that. It's a very simple example, all right? Um, Amanda and I were, were trying to be healthier people. And what are you laughing at? Trying to be healthier people. And, uh, and so we've been watching Facebook Marketplace, and, and uh, I've been picking up some weights and stuff. Um, you know, and so we'll work out. And Timbit and Toby, they'll come downstairs. We have a little thing set up downstairs. And they'll come down, they'll laugh, and they'll say, what are you doing, you know? Um, but just working out, you know, and, and you, you're forcing your body to go through the, the actions, the motions, to lift some weights, to run on a treadmill. You know, you're, you're, you're moving forward, all right? And think of that in your, in your imagination. Think of that with your salvation. It's not that you are earning salvation. You are demonstrating that you are saved. You are living your salvation. You are working. You are um, uh, making, taking benefit of being saved, all right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that's not a scared fear. That's not fear of, I don't know what's coming. That's not fear of, oh, I'm nervous, all right? That fear is reverence. That fear is, is a, um, a, a respect of, of God and a respect of what your salvation cost. And, and salvation is only possible because of the work of Jesus, and so, you know, as we think about Christ humbling himself, I should just be taking advantage of my salvation, not in, into sin, but I should be trying to serve God more. I should be trying to love others more. In Philippians 3, if we, if we were to go forward a chapter, in verse 13, Paul writes, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, 
But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, all right, forgetting not only the bad things, all right, we all love that, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, my sin is covered, but Paul was also saying, I'm forgetting the things which are behind, I'm forgetting the good, all right, I'm forgetting what I've already accomplished, you know, my spiritual resume, all right, that, that's not important, I'm going to keep moving forward, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The example of Jesus should motivate us to love him more, should motivate us to love others more. All right, verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you. All right, if I'm working out my own salvation, is it really at the end of the day anything I'm doing? No, it's God working through me. You know, if I am doing all the work of my salvation, that's the wood, hay, and stubble that's going to burn up. But if I can take a step back and, and surrender myself, here's a, here's a good word, if I can humble myself and say, God, I'm going to let you work. God, would you show me what I need to do? Would you empower me? Would you enable me? Would the Holy Spirit give me what I need to work out my salvation? All right, because it says, it's God which worketh in you. And he'll change two things, both to will and to do. All right, does my heart naturally want to love God and, and serve God? No, I'm fallen. I have sin, right? We all do. And God says, I can work in you. I can change your heart. I can change what your desires are. I can change your will, all right? And then once I can do that, once you surrender that, once we get that worked on, we can work on the actions, the do part of that. Worketh in you both to will and to do. All right, to do what? His good pleasure, right? Not my will. All right, even Jesus said that, not my will, but thine be done, right? The work of God. It's, it's a matter of us surrendering. And it's weird to think that to work out my salvation, I actually have to take a step back and let God do the lifting, and let God do the work. Verse 14, and here's some, some um, I don't know what you call it, nitpicking. Here we go. Verse 14, do all things without murmuring and disputing. Now, what's the difference there? Murmuring and disputing. Murmuring is our private complaining. Murmuring is what we say behind closed doors. Murmuring is what we say in our own thoughts. Murmuring is what we say to our wife when no one else is, is around. Our disputing is public, public arguing, conflict, you know, just disagreements. And I, I understand that we have those, but we can be civil about it. We can be Christ-honoring about those disagreements. And he says, okay, so let this mind be in you. And then he tells us about Jesus humbling himself. Wherefore, and then he gets to, hey, watch what you're saying. Watch your attitude. Murmurings and disputing. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. You know, if anyone had a legitimate thing to complain about, it'd be Jesus. All right, unjustly accused. 
I remember that in high school and, 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 and school where you know, maybe your friends got into trouble and, and you got the detention too, and you're like, I didn't do anything, all right? Unjustly accused, all right? But I've never been beaten up for that. I've never been whipped for that. I've never been crucified for someone else's sin. And Christ did that for us. And he, the Bible says he left it, or he leaving us the example. No guile was found in his mouth. Verse 15 will continue, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. Those three words, blameless, harmless, and without rebuke, all essentially mean very similar things. All right, blameless is free from fault or defect. Without rebuke is, is almost the exact same as that. Spurgeon had an illustration in one of his sermons, and he said, harmless would be as if you cut the horns off the bull. All right, not just that you have a nice bull, but that the horns are eliminated. They cannot harm, even if they wanted to. The comparison would be a sheep. You know, sheep do not devour like wolves. They can't devour, all right? They, they just, that's not in their nature. And so that's the idea here, harmless. Not that you are, you have an anger and you're, and you're always just holding it back, but that it's not even in your nature. It's, it's something that's been removed from who you are. And that's what we're trying to get to, blameless, harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. And he tells us, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, all right, we hear a lot about that. Is our world wicked? Is our world, what, we would, what the Bible says, crooked and perverse? Absolutely. And sometimes we'll sit back and say, oh, well, that's my excuse. You know, I'm justified in my reaction. And God says all these things, and he says it does not matter even if the world is, is horrible. In the middle of a crooked and perverse nation, I want you to be blameless. In the middle of a world that hates me and hates everything to do with God, I want you to be harmless, without rebuke. All right, in a world that is full of sin, I don't want you to be complaining. I don't want you to be murmuring. I don't want you to be disputing. And I want you to do it, and I want you to have the mindset that Jesus had of humility, of humbleness. All right, the second part of verse 15, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And I think this reveals the motive. All right, we've seen uh, kind of the method of incarnation and, and um, humility that was there, but the motive, I believe we see here, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Why did, uh, why did Jesus come to the earth? To save sinners. Why are we being sent out? Why did God leave us here? You know, I got saved when I was 12 years old. Why didn't God just take me to heaven? You know, why am I still here to tell others about him? Among whom, in this, in this wicked world that we live, we are lights. All right, we are supposed to be, let me say it that way, we are supposed to be lights. All right, how, how bright does our light shine if I'm the guy that's always complaining? How, how bright does my light shine if I'm the guy that's always fighting with a coworker? You know, Cody especially, you know. But what if we come to blows every Monday morning? You know, how does that reflect back on God? How am I going to have a fight with someone and then try and share the gospel with them? You know, it could be a coworker, it could be family, it could be someone that comes to our church. You know, and they walk in, they see that we're miserable, we're angry, we're, oh, here, let me tell you about Jesus. All right, it, the, the two messages don't mix. And so God says that we are called, we are, we are to shine as lights in the world. Um, verse 16, holding forth the word of life. All right, we have the gospel. 
We have the story of Jesus. All right, again, as I think about working out my salvation, it's not that I have to have the words, right, to see anybody saved. I just have to be able to show them Jesus. You know, it's the power of the gospel that changes lives. At the end of verse 16, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You know, how, what would that be? You know, you get to heaven, and we all look forward to, to hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And what if you get there and Jesus just shakes your hand and says, I'm glad you're here, because you didn't do anything. And I know Jesus would be graceful, gracious and, and loving and all the rest, you know, but Paul gives us the reality that some of us will run in vain, that some of us will, will, will be saved, but we will not have served God. We will not have worked out that salvation. And, the, and he uses the word in vain. So what is, what is our application? Our goal, I think, that we can pull from here is one of many, as I mentioned earlier, but evangelism. Jesus came. He was incarnated. He was, he was humbled to be able to offer forgiveness. And now it's our job to go and tell other people about it. Humbleness, you know, that would be a good characteristic that we could all work towards. As I had mentioned, uh, Paul said, not that I had already attained, uh, or either we're already perfect, but I follow after. I may apprehend for that which also I apprehended of, of Christ Jesus. Looking forward, all right, always trying to go forward. Matthew 22, verse 38, this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. We are to love the world. You know, and we can sit often, you know, there's times as Christians, uh, we talk about the world, and understand there's a lot of things to discuss, but have we crossed into murmuring? Have we crossed into disputing? Have we crossed the line into maybe a little bit less love for these lost people who don't know better. And so that would be a challenge for me, a conviction for me, as I see Jesus being humbled, humbling himself willingly. You know, I think I can humble myself. You know, I, I should love my neighbor more. I should be a witness. I should sh- let my light shine. And, and I think thinking on Christ will help me do that. So as we pray this evening, I'll close in a word of prayer. We'll have a, an invitation. My challenge would just be, is there someone that you need to share the gospel with? And it's kind of a rhetorical question because the answer is obviously yes. All right, there should be someone that we are actively pursuing with the gospel. And my challenge for you this evening during our invitation is just spend some time asking God to humble yourself, asking God to reveal those things that we need to work on. And you know, in the light of what Christ did for us, really all our complaints and our, our worries or our, our things that we fuss about really are just so... So small compared to that. And maybe we'll spend some time with prayer asking God to help us with those things. Lord, I do love you, God. Again, I thank you for your word. I thank you just for this time that we can think about um, the price you paid for my salvation, God, that you were willing to give up and, and to lay aside to some regard the riches of heaven, God, that you would become poor so that you could offer me salvation. God, I do pray um, that you'd help me to be humble, that you'd help me to, to love others, that you'd help me to um, just honor you with, with how I live. I just pray this in Christ's name, amen. I encourage you to stand as the music plays and just spend some time with the Lord. Ask him to reveal those things that you might need to work on. Reveal those areas that we can, can labor together and share the gospel with others.